Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way. We just did in our pre, <laughs> pre-work here, uh, because this is a re-recording of, uh, of a previous one. We've learned the hard way of what works and what doesn't. Yeah, ask us about it sometime. I, it was an, an interesting uh, warm-up to this call, and I think you guys are in for a real treat because we're going to be talking about analysis versus synthesis. As a sales enablement leader, you're an orchestrator, and perspectives matter. And one of the things we're focused on here in season two is understanding different perspectives and more importantly, bringing people together to move forward to help clarify measures of success, provide examples of what it means to blend strategy and execution together to drive results, and really gain the confidence to have more meaningful conversations in and among those people responsible for helping sales be successful. And as you guys know, we usually start with a centering story. So Scott, take it away. What kind of story do you have for us today? What, I, what we're going to have to do is go way back. Normally, we start our stories in the 1800s or something like that. So we're going to go way back. And we're going to go way back to um, as early as 391 BC. That's 391 Oof. BC. That's where we're starting our story from. All right, great. Wow. And what we're talking about is something called the Attilan Farce. The Attilan Farce. The, the what? Attilan farce. Attilan farce, and basically, what the Attilan farce is, it's um, a, it's a style of theater that the Romans invented. And if you kind of kind of go way back and you know think about Greek mythology and all those weird um, Greek plays that they did with their Lyles and you know all the stabbings and the you know the Greek tragedy that always end up so depressed, the Romans, of course, ripped that off because a lot of Romans ripped off uh, Greek culture. And they were doing those uh, Greek tragedies too. But the Romans, you know, it just, it was too heavy. Like how, how, many, the- how many plays can you watch where everybody dies at the end? Um, so what happened is, if you kind of can picture this, if you, if you know like acting and they have those masks and they have the frowny mask and the big smiley mask with the heavy accentuated um, um, facial expressions, those mm-hmm. come from the Greek model. So you would act with these masks on. Yeah, you put them in front of your face and be like, yep. I'm happy now. Exactly, right? Yeah, so that, I remember that, that. That's what acting was. I guess they didn't trust the craft and they had to have tools, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, acting enablement, Greek style, 101. Okay, so now we're fast forward to it. So you, you do that. But what happened is in this town of uh, uh, Attila, um, not Attila the Huns, that's different. In the, in the Roman Empire, they, what they really started doing is something different. And after the heavy, heavy, heavy main event, the actors would get on and sort of riff. They 
would play on redoing that whole uh, that whole um, uh, play, but they'd redo it comedic, and uh, hence hence the idea of a farce. Uh. And in no time, that became wildly popular. Uh, so it spread, and what that really is is it's really the genesis of something called improvisation. So let's fast forward to the fifties. Um, that got uh, improvisation got a renewed interest in the in the United States, uh, particularly in Chicago. And in 1959, the Second City formed. And you might be aware of the Second City. A lot of famous actors that that we know about that are really funny, like John Candy. Uh, people like that, uh, Jim Belushi, came out of the Second City. And the Second City really experimented with a lot of rules uh, around how to do improvisation, which seems really interesting, right? Improvisation seems like it's free-flowing and the like, but really to make that form work, there's a whole slew of rules uh, that you need to learn. And what's what's been very interesting now is that that form is uh, moving into movies and TV, so if you've ever seen a show like Seinfeld or um, Saturday Night uh, Live, Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. uh, Saturday Night Live is more scripted uh, than um, than that. But what uh, what Larry David and, and Seinfeld does, they, they would etch out like scenes and then they would ask the actors to, to sort of play off on each other. Oh, right. Yep. So that's that's what makes those shows about nothing, something about something. So what's interesting is it's really disruptive. It's disruptive to a lot of people. It's disruptive to the actors that, that, that you bring in. And that's really what our, what our centering story here is going all the way back uh, to, ancient Roman, uh, to ancient Roman times of pivoting from just doing a play a certain way to doing a farce. So what does this have to do with sales enablement? So what? So let's break it down uh, for, for everybody listening. So one thing that's changed is that the, the playbook that we've all run, you know, here's the product, train the salespeople on the product, go sell the product, uh, sort of the same classic, the analogy being the same as the, 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 the Greek play, doesn't work anymore. And so we're all learning a form of improvisation as we're trying to work backwards from customers. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing, though, is it's really difficult to learn how to do that when we know only the rules of being very specific actors. I have studied my lines. uh, I'm classically trained. Right. And there are certain rules of stage rules to go through. And when you start changing the rules to do something different, it causes a lot of people to go batshit crazy. And then another variable that's relevant here is uh, I hope our listeners have heard of design thinking. Design thinking is a technique that's being um, uh, that's gaining more and more traction, and it's an approach uh, to tackling complex human-based systems uh, to, to come up with some innovative solutions for it. And in order to do design thinking, the number one rule is to moving away from analysis and concentrate more on synthesis. So the, the reason that we're having this conversation here is that the nucleus, many of us are really, really, really wired to analyze things 80 ways to Sunday. Uh, if you want to understand that, just ask us about what our take, our first take was on, on, this, on this podcast. 
but it's just very easy to get caught up into, well, we have to know everything there is to know with everything before we start doing. But unfortunately today, we don't have the time to do that. So joining us today is, um, is Brooks Batts. And Brooks Batts is uh, you know, best known. She, she's uh, involved in the Sales Enablement Society. She's best known for her work at uh, Omnitrax. Brooke and I have worked a lot in implementing the, uh, the Rouse to Value program at, at, uh, at Omnitrax. So we've got a, we, we have a lot of um, sweat equity, don't, don't we, uh, Brooke, about how it is to, to introduce something new that may sound simple, but sometimes simple isn't easy. So Brooke, would you want, you want to introduce yourself to the to, to uh, Insider Nation? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Brian, for having me on. Um, we're talking about one of the, the topics that are near and dear to my heart. And uh, in addition to Scott's intro, just to, to add a little color, I've been in the sales enablement um, space for about, I guess, 20 years or so now in some capacity uh, of sales, marketing, product marketing roles, but always um, leaning toward more of an enablement focus. And one of the biggest things to me and what I'm really, really passionate about are the, the, the we've been talking a lot on um, about these words, the four words that are, are um, always overarching for me are collaboration, problem solving, empathy, and awareness. And so this topic of, of, of improv, and I love the grounding story, Scott. It just it, it got me so excited thinking about um, you know I have so many thoughts about what what happened, you know why they decided uh, we don't like this anymore, we we want to change. Was it influence from just what they thought, or was it the audience, or both? Brooke, have you ever seen a Greek tragedy? Have I ever seen a Greek tragedy? I think it all it would take was one yeah. viewing of that and say I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, they're miserable. And you know, the masks, the, 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 we see that iconic image of the two masks together, I think for your listeners, um, the, the comedy and drama and the, the antithesis between the two, if you will. I mean, they're, they're so opposite and that, you know, that spawned somewhere. And, and I actually did not know the full story. Like you just told it. I find it so interesting that what they were doing was taking what they had just done and almost replaying and replaying it in a different way. And, and we love doing that. Don't we, Scott? <laughs> we've, through these engagements, we've Absolutely. worked on together. We love it. So, so you yeah. Have a, you're, a, you're an actress too. You have an acting background. I do have an acting background. Yes. And, and it's, how's that helped you in sales enablement? Practice, but, uh, but it certainly doesn't leave you right. All we, it's uh, all the light, all the world's a stage, if you will. Well, here's what we did. So Brian asked you, how's that help you in sales and nail? I'm going to ask everybody to go search her on IMDb Uh-oh. and then go find <laughs> that video because it is hysterical. Uh, I wasn't going to do that, but uh, Scott did. Yeah. You know, did you, I, if you want, I can speak to that for another moment as far as where I think it, it really translates in. Yeah, in, absolutely. I'd love to hear that. For me and in and, and, and the roles that I've held. Um, you know, I, I listed those those words. You know, especially especially empathy and awareness, and with you know some of the formal and just experiential training I had in in acting, and um, you know from a very young age, it uh, very quickly you realize these the the need to have empathy, empathy that is is putting yourself in your audience shoes and knowing your audience, 
and also being able to almost you know see yourself and through someone else's eyes while you're doing all these other things. So it it definitely um, you know helped with with you know the L and D background that I have with, with train. I love being up in front of folks and, and getting you know facilitating etc. But you could do that and not be really effective with it because you're not necessarily engaging the audience. And so, you know, the, the, that training helped, helped me tremendously with, with the empathy aspect and, and knowing your and being able to walk in someone else's shoes very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, I continue to apply a lot of those concepts with, with everything that we do today. Um, you know, always trying to empathize with clients, always, you know, when we're in workshops, trying to, to develop things, trying to have empathy, both for, um, you know, for really everyone involved. And, and, uh, and I just think acting helps with that. Absolutely. That's a great story. And it really relates to our centering story. So that's awesome. And we'll keep bringing it back, uh, figuring out if we have a Greek tragedy or not. <laughs> I'm trying to get that out of my head right now. But um, so, the, but this is great. So you, the reason why uh, you're on this call with us, this podcast, Brooke, is uh, we've been talking about analysis and synthesis for a while, but also um, the recent episode that we had with Doug Clower, which was episode 45, mm-hmm. um, the modern day Marco Polo, where Scott was Marco Polo. And we, and uh, you'd reached out to me and, and I just would love to, to have our listeners hear from you what, what struck you about that episode and um, perhaps how it relates a little bit to analysis versus synthesis or improv. Gosh, yeah. So uh, I reached out to to you almost immediately after I listened to that particular podcast. And there were several things that stood out to me. Of course, um, if you listen to it again, I, I forget exactly where the timestamp was, but the, the topic of walking in another's shoes was brought up by Doug and and, and Scott and yourself. And um, you know, throughout that podcast, we started, you started talking about, you know, some ideas toward the end, you know, um, and Doug told the story about having, uh, I believe it was either a CFO or, or somebody in the financial um, uh, type role in, in the company he was with at the time to put together a presentation about how the company made money. And that just hit me so hard. I thought it was just awesome because we think so much about the things that, uh, you know, kind of at this top level of, of what we have to roll out and how we check that box. And a lot of times we, we forget that there are, there's a fundamental um, baseline of knowledge that um, as simple as it may seem, we may be missing translating that or communicating that to the audience. And uh, I just thought that was so neat. And one of the other things that really stood out to me was the, the point made about the merging of two things, which is strategy and tactics. And that sounds cool. Sounds like something you should be able to do. Yeah, we should, we should do that. But, but the actual execution of trying to do that is a completely different story. And so I found myself asking, wow, that's a really cool idea. How do we do that? You know, how, how do you do that effectively? And of course, with everything um, that we're circling around today between synthesis and analysis, it, 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 all, it all links together, right? I mean, in, in order to, to sort of marry those two concepts of strategy and tactics, what do you guys call it? Stra- stratocution? Stratocution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, there has to be a blend of these types of, of thinking and approaching problem solving. 
Yeah, that's great. And that episode with Doug and what you're bringing up here, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of uh, play off of. I'm gonna do some improv and play off of you with what where you're <laughs> going here. Um, you know, the interesting thing about where where that discussion came from was this Venn diagram that Scott has shown in his. One of his webinars in the state of sales enablement, and the overlapping Venn diagram was with a circle of strategy and the circle of tactics, and where those overlapped was stratification, as you just mentioned. Um, that creates a space in between uh, or an overlapping space. And um, the more I've worked uh, in sales enablement, I realize that those two circles are, are are very, very overlapped. Not just a little bit overlapped, but overlapped a lot. And the more successful enablement professionals that understand that uh, we call them orchestrators and that's who's listening to our show they operate in that space and one of the things here that i'm 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 building off of is the concept of improv the concept of creating space for the farce to happen in the first place to try something new Mm -hmm. the idea of creating space when you walk in somebody else's shoes the idea of uh, creating space to understand both strategy and tactics, right? Um, th- that idea of space is, is something that I think Doug resonated with, that I resonate with. And I would just love to, to hear what your take is with regard to being creative or improvising um, in, in the concept of space. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, you know, I think one of one of the most challenging or one of the things we sort of have to ask ourselves when we think about that space as you're describing it is am i comfortable or uncomfortable in a place of almost ambiguity if you if i don't know what the end picture looks like am i comfortable and if i'm not how can i get comfortable because that is what what we're talking about when you feel like you need to know what the end picture like you tend to block the creativity that can come out of this you know we're saying improv right now or the design thinking aspect of you know creatively solving problems and, and working together to do that um mm-hmm. yeah, so that's great i mean you could have yeah. space in a in a meeting right where you have a bunch of different perspectives you could have uh, overlapping space there of, of, of thoughts and ideas and and design thinking techniques but you can also have some space on a blank sheet of paper and i've seen people actually struggle with i call it uh you know blank blank sheet itis it's a blank sheet of paper i know i need to produce something i'm a knowledge what worker what am i supposed to do with this yeah it's what am i supposed to do on this blank i need some i need a template or i need something to start with mm-hmm. i'm even seeing i don't know if that relates or not but that that jumps into my head if you can actually have space on a sheet of paper too well no i agree with that too because that, that i'm very familiar with that feeling we all have it happen and a lot of times the the less of a template or the less of an idea or vision you have i shouldn't say vision because i think i think that part let's set that aside for a minute i think it is it's finding comfort with that blank piece of paper and instead of panicking about well i don't know what i'm supposed to do here because what we what we tend to do is is worry about getting things wrong you know and and I know Scott is is uh, really passionate about this because, you know, he's yelled at me a couple of times. In a <laughs> nice know, way. Just do it. Oh, in a very nice way. But, you know, <laughs> don't worry about it. Just do it. You're not going to get it wrong. It's like, well, yeah, but, but exactly what is it that you want? You know, we all fall into but, that and, mm-hmm. and getting, rising above that, that, uh, that fear, if you will, and feeling really confident with 
within that space is, is a goal that uh, I think is, is really um, worth focusing on in order yeah. to be an orchestrator. Yeah. And I think the, the role that Scott plays as a catalyst in that is, is critical. And uh, I've been on the receiving end of that and I actually appreciate it, uh, uh, you know, the next day or even the next <laughs> minute, because uh, so sometimes that's what you need. You're looking at the blank sheet and you just need to start typing or you need to yeah, engage. It's, it's in interesting. It's, it's not so much in the moment though. And I, I think that's what I want to give some clarity here for is um, to do something big, you have to be able to do something small. And some of it has to uh, check your own biases. And it's one of those things where you can go and tackle something really, really huge. Like, um, you know, Brooke and I worked on a major transformation project at our company. And it starts out, you got to do some really tiny things that are very, very uncomfortable. And most people are unwilling to do those uncomfortable things. So if you're not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. So that's, that's really what I love about this idea about synthesis versus analysis. What do we know for sure? We know for sure with everything that we've learned in business is to analyze things 80 ways to Sunday. I want to report. I want to look at the data. But what we know for sure is things get connected by people and through people and through making the space work. And there's no one person who can look at a set of data and say, here's the answer, because you're going to interpret it differently. So part of what was interesting about this, this exercise for, for our listeners, I challenged Brooke and, and Brian. Brian is, loves analysis. <laughs> I love synthesis. So part of it is we've got a little bit of an oddball couple going on. I said, here's what would be awesome. What if we were to work with Brooke? Let's get you guys to work together on the difference between analysis and synthesis, but really under, let's understand why this is such a big deal. It's such a big deal because we don't even have the vocabulary to do all of the things that we need to do, do all the dot connecting to make things work. And if we're going to be orchestrators, we've got to learn some new rules. And then we have to introduce no, new rules to people because as we try to infect other people with our positivity and our awesomeness, <laughs> uh, they've got to have the right rules. Yeah. And if they don't know the rules to engage, they're going to go back to the old rules and we've got a Greek tragedy to our hands instead of a fun, uh, a fun farce. Yeah. And I've seen that at a very human level as, as we look at people engaging in something new, uh, transformation or rollout or just a pilot even. And um, let's, let's keep it simple for our listeners. You know, we've got this concept of space. We're in the space. We're probably in the space a little bit now. And you guys are like, get to the point or whatever. <laughs> um, and we're creating the space and pur- on purpose in this podcast. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to say, look, there's, there's primarily two reactions to that space that we see. On one hand, you've got the, the folks that say, I already know what to do in that space. I'm going to get at it. I'm going to, I'm going to um, engage. I, I've seen it before. I'm going to look for cause and effect. I'm going to look at the past and I'm going to project the future uh, and I'm going to take action. I'm going to do. And uh, so we're going to call that the analysis side. And, and I'm not trying to sell that short. I'm just trying to keep us moving in and say, there's a, there's a response that you can, you can take to say, I'm going to analyze. There's another one that's around, okay, I'm in the space. What's possible here? What can I do? Um, what's needed for the organization, what, what's available, um, how do we get creative, and how do we get multiple perspectives in here to bring things together, to innovate, or to create something new. 
instead of saying, I already know what to do, it's, I wonder what we can do and it's what's possible. And that's the other side, which is synthesis. So we're going to frame out and breathe some life into these concepts of analysis and synthesis today. And then you get to decide really uh, about what your take is on that. Certainly we're going to have a point of view on it. And, um, and let's, let's talk that through, but, you know, Brooke, what's your reaction to kind of those two buckets of, of a response to space? What, what do you think? Well, I think that if we relate it back to sales enablement and where we are today and what a lot of us experience, we've probably all been in situations where we are being asked to do a million different things and we're trying to move fast and we're trying to deliver deliverables and getting a, a finding the space in between execution and strategy it can be very difficult if you're not purposeful about it. And Scott, yeah. you were spot on when you said, uh, you know, the rules and process. I find it really fascinating. The improv um, analogy is perfect because why do we love improv? I mean, most of us do. We love watching actors just kind of think on their feet and, and deliver something awesome what we don't always realize is behind the scenes, there is a process and there are rules of engagement. Yes. And the more successful deliveries you see, the best ones, uh, you know, the, the most epic, you know, I could think of three or four um, examples. Like what? Like, like what are some of the unwritten rules okay. that, that I wouldn't know about, for example? Just, just think, oh, the rules. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a big one is the, uh, Scott, you were mentioning it, adding new information, focusing on, and, and, you know, when we compare anal- you know, the analysis mindset, which is looking at the past and the things that, you know, this is what we've done, these are, this is how it's always worked versus, you know, the synthesis of creating something new or bringing those parts together and creating something new, um, that's looking to the future. And that can feel like it's slowing things down, which is a lot of, but, but it's so incredibly necessary. And in the end, it speeds things up and, and, and the end result is so much better. Yeah. So, um, you know, things like adding new information, not blocking, um, you know, you, you never want to block another, if you're, if you and I, Brian are, are improving, which we basically are doing right now, you don't want to block the other person's thought process or their flow. And, um, and we talked about this one off, off the podcast for a few minutes, but the idea of asking questions during an improv is actually frowned upon because it can break the flow as well. Instead, you want to try to be present in the moment and be focusing on specifics and adding more details and bringing things in to add color. Exactly and- like I'm going to do right now. Go for it. <laughs> to add to what Brooks, uh, to add to what what's Brooke, what Brooks is talking about, is think think about a situation where you're doing a training environment and somebody disrupts the role play because they say my client's never going to do this. Uh-huh. that's a that's an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example, Brian, is uh, I, I know we've heard uh, heard me talk about yes and. Part of what, what you want to do is if Brooke is talking and, and, I, and I'd say, yeah, I, everything I heard what you said, that's great. But, and that we're really used to saying that, what I've just done is I've negated everything that she said. And now I'm imposing my rightness on. If I say yes and, then I can build on off it. And my job in improv is to always move it forward. 
and you have to do it instantaneously. So other rules are you have to trust people, but you have to pay attention not on what you're going to say. You have to pay attention to what the other person is saying. So you have to really listen very, very carefully. So you have to develop completely different listening skills. And my job is to make Brooke look better by my ad, not me. And if you're going to take the ball, your job is to build on what I said and so on and so forth. That's, that's how you get that positive energy and positive momentum. But you can see in that chain how easy it is for somebody to break it. Yes. And yeah, there you go. See, exactly. Just there. <laughs> in, a, in a business setting, we've practiced recently. I've been practicing the yes and so much more because we talk about it so much and, and you're great at it, Scott. And it is a, it's just one little addition. It is, it makes a profound impact it on really communication. And it, it, I encourage yeah. everyone to try it. It's pretty, it's pretty impactful. Yeah. And I, th- I think um, when you look at that, you can get into a state of flow. And one of the things or two of the things that I think that, that I've seen that, that can really, um, you know, throw a wrench into things. One is, you know, obviously taking the opposite of what you guys just said, but I think there's this concept of time and Brooke, you alluded to it. Um, well, we don't have time for that or, um, you know, I already know the answer. So why don't we just, you know, and jump, uh-huh. jump to that answer. Yeah. Um, do those violate the rules of, of improv and synthesis? those two things or, or is there, are those frowned upon? Like, why are they so prevalent? Um, you know, cause those well, are, those are real barriers that I've seen. They definitely are. I think it's, I think it is definitely overarching and, and most of us experience it. And it's also self-driven because I think it's, it in part at least has to do with setting expectations and putting, um, you know, putting that process in place and following that process, whatever that is, you know, the, the, the rules of engagement. And if you and your team have, have, an, have those rules in place or that model in place, then you're less reactionary and you tend to be less pressured by a lot of times externally, um, you know, external sources of, of imposed timeframes and, um, it, it just, I think, has everything to do with setting it, um, you know, setting those expectations up front yeah. and, and they have to be carefully, uh, meticulously put together, you know, as a, as a mission statement and, you know, as, as part of your, I'm going to steal from Scott as part of your operating model, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I love, Scott, what, what's your take on that? I mean, do you think if, if I were to inject and say, well, we only have an hour, let's get this done. Do you think that's an analysis frame or a synthesis yes. frame? You think it's analysis? Yes. But yeah, what it is, you're, you're imposing a, an element of control mm-hmm. rather than letting the flow happen. Uh, that's definitely one thing. And you're bringing your own anxiety, your own goals into it. I think for me to mm-hmm. piggyback on what, what Brooke was saying, the, the best analogy that I have is it's like a tennis match. And the people who are doing synthesis or synthesizing are actually playing the match. They're actually literally back and forth, back and forth, back and forth uh, doing the tennis match. And the people who are analyzing are sitting in the sands watching the tennis match. 
And the reason that I think that um, getting into this flow and improv is so important and that you need to do it in your team is because our salespeople are dealing with it on a daily basis. They don't get the time to analyze a bunch of stuff. We want them to be analyzing a bunch of things to check boxes and fill in information. They don't have that luxury when they get on a, on a call with a, you know, or have a face-to-face with a client. They need to be able to put things in front of that customer to get them to react. And then they have to be able to listen to what's happening in the moment and be able to anticipate where it goes from there, but allow the conversation to flow. And I think one of the things that's valuable about uh, improv and this whole idea of synthesis and analysis is it's a completely different way of working. It doesn't replace one. We still need to analyze. It's just don't let the analysis just uh, choke out the synthesis because the synthesis is where you do all the dot connecting. Yeah. And so um, let's, let's draw a little bit of a compare and contrast because I really want to breathe. I mean, if, if I would put myself in the listener's shoes, I'd, I'd, I'd um, you know, obviously synthesis, we would be leaning towards just because of the, the COVID era innovation. It's, it's a word that, that says and screams digital economy. However, the, the reality of, of most companies uh, is that they're in an, an analysis driven culture with a lot of data and a lot of numbers. I'd like to just, you know, kind of go through a bit of a, a compare and contrast here uh, to draw a, a bit of a, a distinction and draw, draw a wedge between these, not saying one's better or worse than the other, but just making sure we're clear on what these are. Um, for example, analysis, we've talked about data, rear view mirror, Sid Brook, um, task, attention to detail. And I think the, the impact of an analysis type of mindset or an approach is maybe, um, I don't know, looking at what happened in the past and, and being able to show what's happened through data or something like that. Whereas synthesis is, more um, focusing on uh, bringing things together, uh, riffing off of or, or building off of others, combining things, putting things together. Uh, and, and really, you know, Scott, you and I have talked about this. It's this idea of let's try to infer and build insights on what's going to happen in the future or what's happening right now, like today. Um, do you, so what's your, you guys' reaction to those types of uh, criteria, if you will? And do you want to add anything else to those to help our listeners understand that there is a difference between the two? I'll take, a, I'll, I'll take that for a minute. I think that having, I think it's really important to first ground it in both are necessary. And that we're not saying that one is better than the other. I think both analysis and synthesis are necessary to get to that, that outcome, whatever it, it is. And that being said, it's, it's the balance um, between them and understanding the, you know, the lists you just gave were great, Brian, because what we, what we want to first do is be aware of those, um, the, you know, those, those indicators, if you will, of, of where we are and, and how we're processing things and how we're, how we are, thinking. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think one of my, the most fun examples to me of a great combination between synthesis and analysis is the Food Network show Chopped. And I think a lot of your listeners, most people are familiar with it. But if you think about that, the process that those contestants go through and from the opening of the basket to the figuring out what they're going to cook and when they figure out what that end thing they're trying to put together, when it's going, what it's going to look like, um, the most successful contestants and usually the ones who win 
are, are a great example of the perfect blend between synthesis and analysis because they're able to analyze the ingredients they have in front of them and apply past knowledge to what they are and what they can do and then have the synthesizing capability to, to very quickly on their feet come up with an innovative solution to blend those many, many times very disparate ingredients that make no sense together on paper into something awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I think you can do that in a moment in time. And I've also seen um, synthesis over a long period of time, you know, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of little touch points over time, yielding something different because people paid attention and they understand what's happening at a micro scale. And then they're able to infer what to to do in the the macro. Um, Scott, I I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I'd love to hear from you as well on um, especially on Brooke's comments, uh, uh, both are required, um, and, and your te- take on it uh, in that regard. So I, w- I want to address it. I want to make two points. So point number one is, as a listener, um, synthesis is a, is a concept that's going to seem very vague. And what, we're gonna, what you're probably going to do is you're going to apply the lens that you know, which is to analyze it. <laughs> and that makes it even further reachable from you the harder you try to analyze it. So I think the first thing to think about is they're, they're just two different levers. Um, and let's, I'm going to be sciencey. You know, Brooke, you love, uh, you love it when I get sciencey. But let's, <laughs> let's get a little sciencey. Um, to draw some contrast, if you are um, being a biologist and you're observing how things work. You're making observations and synthesizing information because you're going to have to put it together. Now, on the other hand, if you wanted to take all those, uh, that same person and measure growth charts and things like that, you're analyzing. One is good for one kind of decision-making. One is good for a different kind of decision-making. Now, let, let's bring this to, to, to life here of why this distinction is important. All of us are familiar with a boatload of data that we can collect about salespeople. How much data do you guys track inside your companies, right? How much do you track about whether they're consuming this asset or that asset, whether they've taken this course or how long they've been in this course or whether they're at quota or not at quota or anything like that? Does that, any of that information help you figure out whether a salesperson's good or not? All it does is it's, it's measuring things. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it, but what you, what you can find out is whether or not a salesperson has the ability to connect the dots with lots of information and put it into a way that's understandable for a customer. And that's synthesis. So the challenge that we have are, are, are we have to figure out in this world that we're living in is how do we toggle between these two things and recognize a lot of us are going to be super comfortable with analysis because that's something that we could put on a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint and we can show our box is, is checked and we can get people off our back, but does it solve any problems? So yeah. I, I think these, these are the contrasts that are important. Yeah, yeah your, your example. Oh, sorry, Brian. No, go ahead. Or I got excited because no, go for it. <laughs> yes, and Brooke. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, Scott, it's it's you're absolutely so spot on with 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 that that example because that is exactly 
what we do is we look, we, we have two sides of the coin to look at. We have all this data and, and, and all these numbers. And, and can we really glean the information that we need in order to help those people, those sellers to become, uh, you know, better versions of themselves and what they want to be and be more successful, et cetera, et cetera. And I tend to be in, in that particular example. I, and over the years, I have always leaned more toward the synthesis side of that because I have found um, that just, you know, simply observing a live you know, conversation and, and riding the field or, you know, nowadays being, you know, hopping on a call and, uh, and being there as a fly on the wall, even um, in the right context that I'm here to, to not to judge you by any stretch. I'm here to, I'm here to just observe, to see what our, our clients are, you know, what you're going through um, sales rep and what our clients are talking about and to help be a connector um, between that information that's being shared as much as possible. And I, the, the, Every time for me, in my experience, it has been so much more effective um, it, to look at it through that lens in order to execute the kinds of things uh, later on down the road that, that we try to. Yeah. Enablers, right? Yeah. And I you know this is a great point. And um, what, it, what it brings to mind is I just kind of did a, a little bit. Let me, let me um, uh, dump this out and see what you guys think. So Scott, you're talking about the data level, right? And, and synthesizing there to infer, um, you know, we're hearing a lot about collaboration, diversity, et cetera. You can synthesize at the people level around projects and initiatives. So bringing different perspectives together as orchestrators, we're going to have to do that. So this idea of finding patterns or communicating among people, et cetera, is going to require some uh, synthesis activities or, or mindset or approaches, uh, especially, you know, for example, this improv analogy. And then we've got the department synthesis. So the commercial ratio, Scott, that you've been talking about at commercialratio.com, you guys can check that out. But that's a, that's a roll up, if you will, or a synthesis of the commercial engine. And if you think about all of the moving parts of that uh, in sales and marketing, that, that's a, a measure of, of those things coming together. I'll even go so far as to say the company synthesis through merger acquisition and what that could look like. And then um, where I wanted to go was with this buildup is at a profession level. Um, a story that I would like to share is I, I read a book um, by Franz Johansson from Harvard, and he, he actually has a book called The Medici Effect. And uh, on one of our podcasts, Scott, we called about, we had a cultural synthesis with the Renaissance and Marco Polo in episode 45 that Brooke was talking about. So that's a cultural synthesis at the crossroads there in Italy. But one of those things that was interesting was there was a guy who studied bugs, an entomologist, and he understood how termites in the desert kept their uh, termite mound cool. And he, for some reason, he geeked out on that, got a degree in that, and he loved it. But then he switched to engineering. And uh, there was a bid that came out from um, one of the governments and they wanted to build a uh, uh, office building in the desert. And uh, they were looking for an, a cost effective way to do that. And what he did was he basically built the building uh, like a termite mound. And the way that termite mounds keep cool is they build tunnels underground and they, they line it with water. And then they build a, uh, a shaft in the middle. So the hot air rises and the hot air goes out the top and sucks in water or uh, air in the bottom that runs through water, which is exactly how an air conditioner works. 
So using the synthesis of these two uh, fields of entomology and engineering, he was able to build an office building based on termite mound principles. And there, any, any uh, innovation today, to me, that's achieving some sort of breakthrough is the synthesis of something with another, another thing, um, uh, you know, including a, a fusion food, which I love. <laughs> so I'm just kind of inventorying all these, these, uh, these, these transformative things that have happened. And it's not because somebody analyzed it to death. It's because to me, they, they've synthesized something with something else. What do, you, what do you guys think of that? Any other stories come to mind? Well, I'll go. Uh, so I, I think that works. I think if, if we were to, you know, put these into buckets, uh, you're going to first, there's the synthesis that you do as an individual. So, you know, Brian, uh, Brian's example, that's, um, I don't want to say an academic example. It's a big brained example. Uh, then you can go all the way down to an example of uh, doing your job or training a salesperson. I think the first thing is to get comfortable with what synthesis is, make it relatable to you first. It's got to be you first. Then the next thing is you have to understand it well enough because you're going to need to work in a team and you want to introduce some of those rules. And I'll tell you one rule to always introduce is yes. And if there's one rule to implement on the team, it's yes. And mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, the second rule that if you could in introduce would be learn how to give constructive, positive feedback instead of, because we know how to give constructive negative feedback and focus on problems what we don't know how to do is envision what the future is going to look like. So I think part, part, part of what you're talking about, Brian, is I think like to make it, to make this idea land, you know, is this touchy feely? Is this squishy? What the heck does this have to do with uh, my job? How does this have to do with collaboration? I think step number one is you, you have to recognize you do this to do your job because no one in sales and anyone that still has a job isn't, isn't the synthesizing. But you got to recognize when you're synthesizing and when you're analyzing, because it's so easy to get caught up around the axle and, you know, try to apply analysis to work that requires synthesis and vice versa. You just, you get zero, zero stuff done. So I think the first step is you've got to make it relatable to yourself. Then you have to figure out specific applications of it. Then you have to find, really stress yourself on how do you talk about it with other people because you can't, it's just almost impossible to synthesize by yourself. So I'm going to throw that, I'm throwing the proverbial <laughs> wand, you know, the hot potato to Brooke. Yeah. Brooke, you get the last word and then I'll uh, wrap us up here because uh, this has been a great conversation, but uh, don't want to overrun the, uh, the sure. synthesis brains of our listeners. <laughs> I, I think it was, it was well said, Scott. It made me think of when you say that that specific applications, because in my analysis, uh, you know, in my how do I do this brain, a lot of time I like to think about that stuff. You know, how can I apply this? And it, it a long, long time ago, someone very wise and it said to me, you know, work on catching people doing something right. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to that positive, you know, finding the positive, um, positive feedback and making it specific and you know, when we give specific positive feedback, what does that turn into? It turns into a repeatable thing. And so if you think about it that way, I mean, that's just as another one that's really great to apply is, you know, try to catch people doing something, catch people doing something right. I'll leave it with that. Yeah, I love that. 
Well, thanks so much, uh, Brooke, for joining us on this. Uh, it's been real fun, uh, just a blast, really, to explore analysis and synthesis with you. I've learned a lot on this this episode, and uh, you know, I'm going to try to try to be more uh, improv oriented <laughs> now that I understand what some of the un, uh, the rules might be. And uh, yeah, yeah. for our listeners out there, um, definitely love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, we we are 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 trying to synthesize a lot, a, a lot of different touch points, whether they're with our customers, with you and the Insider Nation, with folks like Brooke, or even um, even through the, as you can tell, some of the things that are happening in the broader landscape. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And also, where do you get breakthrough? Um, you know, what, what is the, the power of analysis or the power of synthesis and what examples might you have? So drop us a line at engage at insidesc.com. Also check out commercialratio.com. And, uh, you know, we look forward to hearing from you as you, as you learned and, and really uh, embrace this idea of orchestrating in the gap between strategy and tactics. Enjoy the white space out there, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.